Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. which is amazing to me that the Lord would provide this opportunity because it is one of my favorite things to to talk to women and moms and share the love of the Father with them. And as I was praying and asking the Lord, what do you want to say to your daughters? It sort of came out of my own time with the Lord. I would say quiet, but this wasn't actually quiet. (laughs) It was just a time of me sort of opening my heart to him and telling him all the things that were going on. And um, man, I really love the emptiness of this stage. Maybe I'll dance here in a little while. (laughs) Throw me off a little bit. Um, So Mother's Day, every year, salary.com, or usually every year, they they didn't post one this year, they come out with a study. So this is based on last year's, which, um, which they often do. And their goal was to quantify in an annual salary what it is that moms would make if they actually were paid for the work that they do. So they categorize their hours and salaries based on the mothers who work inside the home and those who work outside the home. So the hours were pretty equivalent. Mothers who were working inside the home and, or working outside the home and um, spent their time obviously inside the home working as well, were at about 107 hours per week. 54 of those hours were spent working um, in the home. So 53, right? Um, working at their job, and then 54 at home. Mothers who worked inside of the home almost exclusively, they were right there, too, at about 106 and a half hours spent working inside the home. So as they looked at this, the analysts um, determined the jobs, and among them, identifying the roles these women played, they were chief financial officer, chief operational officer, logistics analyst, facilities manager, nutrition director, server, event planner, interior designer, and the list continued on and on. They quantified their salary at over $200,000 per year with bonuses. Wow. That is quite a bit. I actually think it would be higher if you listed that chief financial officer, because usually they make even more than that, I think. But so you put all those together, they were like about, you know, $200,000. All of that to say, moms collectively do a lot of stuff. 
some people would like <laughs> to say, you know, maybe they, uh, they, they try, they want to rule the world or run the world or women want to do it. And my thought is, we just kind of do. We don't really want to sometimes. We just get up and keep doing it, running the things that need to be run, doing the things that need to be done. And for a long time, we've been doing it with belief that it's our role and it's our duty. And if we don't do it, who will? And to me, this is a bit of a martyr mentality. Motherhood was made for the living, not those who want to die. (laughs) And sometimes the nature of the work that we have to do, the places that we live as mothers, can be so exhausting And so I'm submitting to you today that we need some help. Can I get an amen? Amen. We need some help. And so as I prayed and asking the Lord, what is it that you want to tell the daughters of God? What is it that you want me to know deeply in my spirit that I wouldn't otherwise know unless I was standing here with you today because he's caused me to live out the message And he said, you need some help. Would you let me help you? Would you let me help you? And I just cried. Because he was right, of course. He always is. I need help. I need a helper. Now, I think of a helper as like, when the Lord has told me this in the past, I'm like, okay, I'm going to hire somebody to clean my house. And then everything's going to be fine. Or I'm going to hire somebody to move that thing out of the house that I wanted to get moved and we just haven't had any time. Or somebody come in and organize my life. Or somebody come in and do all this stuff. And as I thought about that, I was reminded of this time. Mickey and I were renovating our first house and our kids were really little. And we sort of took on the project ourselves, scheduled all the, all the things. We had family members working alongside of us. We had trades coming in and renovating this house. We were living someplace else and um, completely gutting, floor-to-ceiling renovation. And the kids were so little, and I felt so overwhelmed because Mickey was off running the business. And so I said, I don't think we can do it. I, I think we need to have some help. So we brought in one of our friends who was a contractor and said, will you come in and just go through the house and tell us um, how you could help us? get this done, execute the final stages of this thing because we're bleeding money, we need to move in, like this is all, we're underwater. So he comes in and Mickey and I walk around the house with him and he goes into each room and he says, okay, over here you need to do this and over here it would be good to do this and over here, and I have my list of notes taking down all the things that, you know, we're going to go through together and he's going to start taking on for us, things that I wasn't even thinking about. And so my list is getting exhausting, and I'm feeling overwhelmed, and we get to the last place in our house, and there's these beams that I wanted to have redone. So I go in there, I'm like, and then there's these beams, and they're like really high in the ceiling. I could not reach them with any kind of ladder that we had. And so this was way too big for me, a project that I could not even understand how to oversee. And he came in, and he's like, okay, that's really simple. All you need to do is this, this, and this. And I put my pen down, and I was on the verge of tears, and I was so concerned that I was going to lose it in front of them that I simply (laughs) closed my stuff up, 
walked out, <laughs> drove away, <laughs> and said nothing because I was just too overwhelmed to say one more word. Every room that we walked into, I thought he was saying, you do this, you do this, you do this. A simple pronoun caused me to lose my mind because there was nothing else that I had the capacity to do. And culturally, and in our society, we, we keep hearing these words as women and as mothers, you just need to, and if you just do, and you should just do, and all of these things that we put on ourselves that were never intended to be on us without help, without a helper. If you look at Proverbs 31, it feels like that list of all the things that we need to do. And I've read it plenty of times. And the Lord has completely redeemed and renewed those words for me over the years. But when we read it, it's like this litany of this is how you are to be a good wife and a good mother. And if you're not these things, then you might as well forget everything that you're doing. Nothing is good enough. And it's the simple use of pronouns. See, that man who walked through our house, he did finish the work for us. He did take it on. And when I told him how overwhelmed I was, he was like, oh my gosh, I was really just kind of asking your permission. Like, is this some things that you would want to do? And I'm like, okay, well, that could have been helpful before. And so as I looked at Proverbs 31, and that's kind of where I want us to, to sit and come back to later, I, I didn't want to read the whole long list. I thought I would paraphrase it for us for today. And it's a wife of noble character, a woman of noble character. I put several versions together, and this is what I paraphrased it out. She's always trustworthy a blessing, protective of her husband. She makes her clothes and the fibers of her clothes. She is way into the details. She's connected to distant lands, bringing in exotic foods for Taco Tuesday. She handles all the logistics of the house, making sure it runs well. She prioritizes the schedule by getting up early. She makes money in real estate, flipping houses like Joanna Gaines. She works out, probably does CrossFit. She stays up at night making sure all the bills are paid. She has a shop on Etsy, of course, making crocheted hats and scarves for winter, even though she lives in Florida. She is generous to all who are in need. Her home is open, and she is hospitable. She makes manna bags for the homeless, on hand, has them on hand, gives from all of her extras. Her home is welcoming. She is on trend with everything that she wears. She really loves and likes her husband. She values him and the important work he does and tells others about it too. She is resourceful. She looks to the future with hope, knowing heaven is her home. She is a wise friend and never has a harsh word. She anticipates needs, quickly responds to them. Her family gives her a standing ovation. In awe, they wonder, how do you do it? We know your efforts, your heart, your life is lived sincerely and with great integrity, and it is because you live in reverence to the Lord. All that you do speaks of him. Great honor is your reward. Now, there's two end caps of this that I want us to focus on. And the first one is this question that King Lemuel 
poses when he asked this, and I didn't put it in there, but he says, a wife like this, who can find her? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> because this seems to me like I'm already tired, and it's just 6 a.m. I just like started my day, and I don't know what to do now. Who can find this woman? And my recommendation to us is that she is uncommon. She is an uncommon woman. She's not common among other women, and that's because there's a difference in her that most women don't participate in. And that is she draws on the helper, the Holy Spirit. See, the end of this says... You live in reverence to the Lord. You live with a life that's submitted to the Holy Spirit. One that causes you to walk in a way that is uncommon. It's not impossible, but it's not common. And so all that I submit to you today, as mothers, requires us to receive the Holy Spirit as our helper. We're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit today, and it seems fitting to me because Holy Spirit is one that requires a mature faith to receive. Francis Chan wrote a whole book and study about Holy Spirit called Forgotten God. And I think in some ways it echoes the way a mother might be recognized in her role. Most of what she does is unseen. It's mysterious. It's important, and it's absolutely necessary for our growth. And so is the Holy Spirit. So let's continue to reason this out together, because there's a parallel narrative I want us to get from the Bible and from what we're talking about today. So if I have any logic students, I'm going to pose a logic question for you. If we are using the parallel narrative between the nuclear family and the Trinity, then if God is our Father... And Jesus is his son. Holy Spirit would best represent a mother. A mother. I'm not advocating for a change of pronouns, so everybody, it's okay. We're going to be fine. Just advocating for a deeper understanding of the word. And here's why. In Genesis 2.18, the word azer is used in Genesis. And we are familiar with this because it says it's not good for man to be alone. So I'm going to make him a helper. And we kind of cringe at that word, ladies. We're like, oh, no, man, you're putting it on me again. You're putting it on i got to do all this stuff. I'm going to make a helper for him. He's not complete without her. And it's not good for him to be by himself. This word helper is azer in Hebrew. And it's found in the Old Testament 21 other times. But this is the only time it's used to represent a woman. Do you know where it's used 21 other times? It's for the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of God who comes in, rushes in like a wind to come to the aid of those who are in need to rescue them. To be a helper to us. See, God is revealing his character as a helper to us. 
and I submit to you that we've been walking some strenuous, some strenuous paths without help, believing that it's better to go without him. We almost have this contempt in our society for those who need our help. We prefer independence and independent living over those who would submit to needing help, who would ask for it, the audacity of someone to ask for help. And we treat that decision as contemptible. But the Holy Spirit is saying to us that we absolutely need him. We cannot do it without him, or we will be among those who are common and beloved. We were not meant to be common. We cannot accomplish the work the Lord has called us to do without the Lord. We cannot accomplish the work the Lord has called us to do without the Lord. So how do we proceed? This came from my very own life. And the first one is we cry out for help. And that took my quiet time to be not so quiet. I cried out for his help. This doesn't look the way I thought it would look, Lord. This isn't going the way that I thought it would go, Lord. This isn't the work that I thought you called me to do, Lord. It doesn't look the way I believed standing here it would look. This is way harder. I feel defeated. I feel weary. I feel broken. I'm lacking love in what I'm doing, in how I'm serving, in how I'm living. Help me. Would you help me? Would you help me? I'm at my end. It's like, thank you. Thank you. Been here the whole time, ready to do it, happy to do it. I just wanted you to acquire the blessing that I have for you. Galatians 4, 6 says, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of the Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. See, it's our spirit that prompts us to call out to him. Our spirit who's saying, there's someone here to help you, to serve you, to love you. You are a beloved son or daughter. So if the spirit in us, if it is the spirit in us that cries, Abba, which reminds us that we are dearly loved children, right? He's just reminding us of where we stand, of who we are, that we are simply loved, no more than that. So if we need the Holy Spirit to remind us of this truth, how much more do we need his truth, his spirit, to help us walk as mothers, to remind us of how we belong, to remind us of what we can do, if we can barely remember that we are loved daughters without the Holy Spirit's help, how will we be able to walk as loving mothers without his help? That's what the Holy Spirit's saying. You need me just to remind you that you're a daughter. How much more do you need me to remind you of all the other things that I've called you to do? 
The Spirit, you see, is not distant or angry with us, but quick to respond when called, close, subtle, and gentle. We know more of the Spirit, of course, when encouraged and released, the Spirit deliberately, powerfully, and with love comes. Yesterday, I got to um, pray for someone who had a sprained wrist. And as soon as I put my hands on them, I prayed, Lord, Holy Spirit, what do you, what do you, how do you want me to pray? What do you want for them? And immediately, I saw this picture of take both their wrists and call for one to be like the other. And that was it. Now, Nancy was standing with me, praying powerfully in that moment and just releasing the Holy Spirit's power because Aaron has no power to heal anyone. I have no power to do this, but the Holy Spirit has provided power in me. And if I neglect to ask him, what do you say about this person and how do you want them to be healed? Then Aaron steps into a place where I think I know better. And I think, because I want healing for them, that that's just enough. And I begin to walk in my own power, in my own strength. And it's so subtle. So making a practice of coming into agreement with what the Holy Spirit wants for that person is a way to continue to submit ourselves to them for our children, for our spouses, for our neighbors, And we pray differently. We pray from a place that is not our own. That person got healed. And now that you know the story, they're like moving. They're like, oh, I'm all better. Just there it is. And I'm just in awe and wonder every time God does that. Because I know it's not me. I know it's grace in him that will allow me to partner and see what he sees. What a privilege that is. So we have to cry out for it. We have to know, we have to remember our place there, submitted to him, and work in reverence and awe. The second one is we need to recognize our helper. Psalm 121, 1 through 2 says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? So we're recognizing the helper. It says, my help, my ezer, comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. See, he came to, to provide that help. The same word is used in Psalms, but in reference to the spirit of the Lord coming to the aid of those in battle. He's a rescuer, a very present help in time of trouble. And as we consider the role of the Holy Spirit, it's good to recognize all the ways that he comes to us the ways we see him. He is our helper, our rescuer, our messenger, a strength, witness, encourager, counselor, advisor, comforter, intercessor. What does that sound like? When we sort of put those all together, some of these words to me looked like my mother. A good mother. And it reminds us of the unseen work that mothers do all the time. How they come in and help, how they come in and rescue, how they send little messages or speak on behalf, advocate for their children. How they bring such strength to them. Lifting cars. You know, you hear the stories of these mamas that are like, 
not on my watch. Let me come in there. And they'll wield swords and do things they never would have done had it not been for that child that they were sent to protect. An encourager, a witness. It is a great joy for me to bear witness to the identity of my children, to remind them of who they are when they forget, just like the Holy Spirit reminds me. An advisor, Doesn't that feel wonderful as a parent, a spiritual mom or a a biological mom or a foster mom that comes in and says, they wanted to know what I thought about something. Or you know the first time you ever hear your child say, I love you back, and you've told them a million times, I love you, I love you, oh my gosh, I love you, I love everything about you, I love this and I love this, and the first time they say it back, or when they're older and they're not so keen on saying I love you in front of their friends maybe or shouting it from a distance like you will. (laughs) But they do anyway. The rejoicing in your heart for them to return your love. It's a mama's heart. And an intercessor. My mom spent many years, and still does, interceding for me, interceding for her children and her grandchildren. At the throne of God on our behalf, hours and hours and hours of her life that I could never count up, that only heaven knows. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He intercedes on our behalf. Echoing the Father's heart, encouraging us to believe in Him. I know that it's hard to be a mom, to take this role on. It is like, to me, sometimes, watching an oak tree grow. It is slow, painfully slow some days. You look out and you watch that tree, and it's a little bit bigger. And you go in and you examine, is there any disease on it? Is there anything trying to eat it? Are these ants on it okay? What's going on? And you just slowly watch this oak tree grow until one day you look back and it's big and it can kind of stand on its own and the wind isn't going to knock it over anymore and it doesn't need those posts around it that hold it up like it used to. You could take those off. The trunk is bigger. The leaves are sprouting. There are seasons to this thing. And it's hard to tell sometimes if anything you're doing is actually helping it grow. Because so much of what you're doing is just feeding it here and there, praying all the time, looking at it, analyzing it. Kind of background work, it seems. Unseen. The truth is, it's hard to walk into those places where you don't feel seen or known or loved or heard as moms. You might feel sometimes like you're invisible, like it didn't matter if you arrived or showed up, that tree would have grown anyway. What a lie. What a lie that is. Because you didn't grow an oak tree. You're not growing an oak tree. Growing children who need a lot more food, (laughs) a lot more water. 
So my friend Brenda asked this question this week. What changed in the room before you arrived? What is different about the experience because you showed up? See, the first place the enemy wants to come against you, women of God, mothers, is to disqualify you from the room that you're walking into, even if it's your own child's. See, it doesn't matter if you walk into this room. Your presence isn't valuable or valid, but it absolutely is. And I know sometimes it's hard to walk into those rooms when there's a season where you don't feel like your kid really wants to receive from you. They want to receive from everybody but you. But walk in anyway. With the help of the Holy Spirit, go anyway. That room is different because you walked in it. We all walk into rooms disqualified for many reasons. And there's these women in the Bible that Jesus talks about and we still talk about because they walked into those rooms. We have not disqualified their stories because they walked into those rooms. We actually praise them and want to be like them, even though in their day they didn't know what would be written about them. The anointing of Jesus' feet by Mary of Bethany. Can you imagine the room she walked into? Disqualified already with her big jar of anointing oil, the presence of people who did not like her, did not care for her, did not believe that she should be in that room. She went anyway and poured all that she had out on Jesus' feet. All that she had, left it all. Is that a common woman or an uncommon woman? Uncommon, she's moving by the Holy Spirit, moving upon her, going in where she might not be received anyway, with the helper in her, working through her, going with her. Mary Magdalene walked in not a room, but a tomb. She walked in to a place where she was welcome. This was her duty. It was to anoint and come back with the oil and care for the dead. That's what a woman did. She walked into that tomb and, they, and, it was gone, and he was gone. He's alive. And because he was alive, he came back and said, here's what I want you to do, Mary. Go and tell your brothers. And do you know she walked in to tell her brothers and they didn't believe her. And she walked in anyway, and she kept saying it and saying it and saying it until they said, okay, let me go find out for myself. That's fine. Go find out for yourself. I'm going to keep telling it. I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to keep walking in it. Because the Holy Spirit compels me to do this. This is the last written, the last spoken word of Jesus to me is to go and do this. I have to. I don't care how you disqualify me. I don't care if you see the work that I do. This is the calling of God on my life to walk into this room. Pontius Pilate's wife, we don't even know her name, but she's really one of my favorite characters in the Bible because she goes into a place where she can't even walk in herself. She's not allowed in this courtroom, in this trial. And she goes in anyway. She finds a way 
with a message saying, leave that man alone. I suffered in a dream about him. And he is put on trial for, for something that he hasn't done. Don't do this. And she's the only voice of reason in the midst of all of this chaos. And she goes in anyway. She finds a way, compelled by the Holy Spirit, to go anyway. She wasn't welcome there. But we, it was written about her, and we can continue to share her story because she's not disqualified by the Holy Spirit. She was an uncommon woman doing an uncommon thing in that day and age. And we still praise what she did because of it. If they could recognize the Holy Spirit's charge and move into that room full of men who made quick judgments, a tomb that was empty, and a trial without cause, then you, woman of God, can go back into your son or daughter. You can go back to them. You can posture yourself well, whether you're called into a mystery, whether you're called to speak bold truth, or to spend extravagant love on their behalf. You can because you've been given a helper. You can do it. You can keep going. It's imperative that we honor each and every season. And that's really why we're here today. We celebrate these days to honor our mothers, whether they are spiritual or biological. We are called to be one of them. Perhaps both in our life for many of us. And we are called to honor both of them. One of them you are called to be. If God doesn't call you to be a biological mother, he is calling you to be a spiritual mother. If he hasn't, he's called us all, he's given us all a biological mother, but he's also called us to receive from a spiritual mother. If your biological mother isn't your spiritual mother, then it's time to receive help from one who has gone before you, who can tell you it's going to be okay, who can remind you that you're loved and you are uncommon because of the Holy Spirit in you. The third point is we need to honor our helper and how he brings the helper. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then it goes on to say, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. How are we to walk with the Holy Spirit? With honor. We learn throughout the Bible that in family, everyone plays a role. In 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, it says to treat our elders as mothers and fathers with honor and our brothers and sisters with purity, with pure intentions, with pure hearts, with pure motives. And Christianity Today put an article out a few days ago that um, was really beautifully written about why we honor mothers. And I just want to read a portion of it. It says, Our ability to honor older women as mothers in the church hinges a great deal on whether we understand how to honor mothers within broader society. Because while many folks feel strong sentimental ties to their own mothers, what of those who don't? And what of those women who are not biological mothers but who act within the rhythms of motherhood, nurturing life and goodness wherever they are? What would it look like to value 
the impulses behind motherhood? What would that look like if the church honored that unseen work? If nothing else, learning to value motherhood would help us remember that none of us exist without another person. As elementary as this sounds, our begottenness is a reality easily lost to modern humans who prefer modes of self-creation. When we honor our mothers on days like these, we remember our need for them. Honoring our parents is a humble acknowledgement that we did not make ourselves. Generations have come before us and made our lives possible. The first time I stayed up all night with my crying baby, I remember that day calling my mom and saying thank you because I finally understood that what she had gone through all those years with us four kids in a crazy house without her mom to come in and help her. And I thanked her, and I still thank her. Thank you, Mom, for standing in places that have made it easier for me to stand, for walking in places that have made it easier for me to walk. She went before me, creating a path that was easy to follow. Maybe your mom didn't leave such an easy path. I'm so sorry for that. That is hard. But there are those around you that are called, that are positioned to walk ahead of you. They've already gone before you. God sent them to, to make that path for you easier. That's why we have women elders of this church and women pastors. We need one another. And there's something unique about women helping women. That's what Timothy was talking about. We need them. So I called her and thanked her because I could hardly know of the work that it took to get me here, but I would soon find out some of the things. And so we need to understand that it's the enemy's scheme to use this hard, unseen work to slowly wear us down so that we will disqualify the work we do and neglect it and abandon our posts. That's the end game, really is for it to be so hard for us, for us to never use our voice to reach out for help to the Holy Spirit or to those around us that he's planted in our lives, that we would abandon the work he's called us to do. I can't say that enough. He wants us to abandon it. And I don't mean leaving your home, going out somewhere and never coming back. I mean abandoning it by escaping through all sorts of means. Your phone, all the work, all the tasks, through pleasure, through alcohol. He wants you to abandon the post. That's the enemy scheme. So let's go back here so that we can show up at this virtuous woman passage with courage and integrity and love. When King Lemuel asked a woman like this who can find her, 
The answer for us is simple. One who's walking by and with the Spirit of God over the course of her life. I've taken passages of that scripture in my life and sort of pocketed those um, over the years and asked the Lord to redeem them, to show me what it means to walk and live by the Spirit in this way. And I just work on them for some time, letting him refine me in those. But see, it's not fortitude or courage or any other virtue that causes this, that causes us to take these things and find ourselves in these passages. If it were, if it were a virtue in us, ladies, if it were, if it were a virtue in us, then we would be the more noble gender. If this was one that was held in us, we would be the more noble gender, but we are equal in God's sight. Virtue doesn't simply belong to women. It belongs to the Holy Spirit who equips us with virtue. But I remember reading a, a note long ago at this museum, a letter from a former president to his wife who was away at battle, and he said, it is because of you that virtue has come to me. You hold the virtue of my life. And I was very offended by this. <laughs> I was like, that feels like a lot for her. That feels like a lot. <laughs> And I don't know this woman, and she probably was like, oh, you're so wonderful. But I'm like, man, that's hard. So you are not the holder of virtue. You are a messenger of virtue. You are one who shares and dispenses a purveyor of virtue. But if you have to hold all the virtue for your marriage and your family, whoo, that's going to be heavy. That is going to be heavy. You are not the sole provider of virtue for your family, you need a helper, and so do they. And the more that you return to that helper, the more they will. The more that they see that it's not you that is so good, it's him in you that is so good. It will be different for your family. That is too high of a measure for your kids to rise to. The best thing I can do for my kids is to show them how desperate for Jesus I am. Mom needs a timeout. I need to go talk with the Holy Spirit. I'm not feeling very virtuous right now. <laughs> we don't hold a corner on virtue. Our ability to walk and live by righteousness has everything to do with our helper, receiving help from him. My daughter's song, um, sometimes I, we were joking the other day, a couple of us, like, I think she reads my journal and then writes her songs. So this lyric has been playing over and over in my mind from Ella's song. It says, I don't want to be perfect. It doesn't feel like it's worth it. All I've got is my testimony and my heart giving you all the glory. Help me let you write the next line. I don't want perfect on my mind. She sees something already that I didn't see for a lot of years. And that is, I need someone to help me write the next line. Because I'm not trying to be that perfect, virtuous woman that puts it all on me. I'm trying to follow the Holy Spirit. I want his help in my time of need. And when I think I've got it all together, that's probably when I need him most. 
The ladies, when you see that it is him in you, then you will rise as a radiant bride, and so will the rest of the bride. My favorite part of this uh, virtuous woman passage, this Proverbs 31, is from the, past, um, the Passion Translation. We are this radiant bride. And all the things that have maybe come upon us, we've used to veil ourselves. They're really meant now to be lifted. And I believe that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do today in us, is to lift that veil. We've been in this unveiled series, and when I think of unveiled, I think about being a bride. And when your husband lifts the veil, it means that you were once not fully seen, not fully known. You couldn't fully see and you couldn't fully know as you stand before him with this veil. And I know we don't do that a lot now, but it's like all these things that used to muddy the waters of your sight are now gone. You're completely and fully received and the relationship is equitable because not only could he not see you in that good makeup you had on, but you couldn't see him and his eyes of love for you, and how deep his affection was for you, staring at each other because there's a veil. But when we're unveiled, we become fully seen and fully known. Now my veil, when I got married, was eight feet long, and it happened to be the windiest day on record. And so what happened is this veil became like this metaphor for my life because I had all these things that caused me to not fully know who my father was and what he had done for me. And it caused me to retreat, to disqualify myself, to put on things that were not mine. Isn't that crazy? It's so wild. But then it became a testimony. That veil became a testimony of how I wasn't seen, I wasn't known, I wasn't loved fully. But now, because of the unveiling, because of the promise, because of the Holy Spirit, I'm fully known. And all of that becomes more beautifully a part of my story because it was there, and now it's not. And that's what he's done, not just for women, but for his bride, the church. And I love that we, the church, are called the bride. So there is a place where we get to lead here, ladies to understand and to make known these sort of ideas about what it means to be a bride, about what it means to be revealed, about what it means to be truly known and seen. And so as I read Proverbs 31 from the Passion Translation, I just want you to hear this instead of as a woman, as God's church. The radiant bride who could ever find a wife like this one, she is a woman of strength, and mighty valor. She is full of wealth and wisdom. The price paid for her was greater than many jewels. Her husband has entrusted his heart to her. For she brings him the rich spoils of victory. All throughout her life, she brings him what is good and not evil. She searches out continually to possess which is that which is pure and righteous. She delights in the work of her hands. He gives out revelation truth to feed others. She is like a trading ship bringing divine supplies from the merchant. Even in the night season, 
She arises and she sets food on the table for hungry ones in her house and for others. She sets her heart upon a field, a land, a country, and takes it as her own. She labors there to plant the living vines. She wraps herself in strength, in might, in power, in all her works, and she states the experience, she tastes and experiences a better substance. Her shining light will not be extinguished no matter how dark the night. Church, you stretch out your hands to help the needy. You lay hold of the wheels of government. You are known by your extravagant generosity to the poor, for you always reach out your hands to those in need. You are not afraid of tribulation, for your household is covered in the dual garments of righteousness and grace. Your clothing is beautifully knit together in purple gown of exquisite linen. Your husband, Jesus, is famous and admired by all, sitting as the venerable judge of his people. Even your works of righteousness she, you do for the benefit of your enemies. Bold power and glorious majesty are wrapped around you as you laugh with joy over the latter days. Your teachings are filled with wisdom and kindness as loving instruction pours from your lips. You watch over the ways of your house and you meet every need they have. Your sons and your daughters arise in one accord to extol your vir virtue and your husband rises to speak of you in glowing terms. There are many valiant and noble ones, but you have ascended all of them. Charm is misleading and beauty is vain and quickly fades, but you, virtuous bride, live in wonder, awe, and fear of the Lord. You will be praised throughout eternity, so go ahead. Give her the credit that she is due. She has become a radiant bride, and all her loving works of righteousness deserve to be admired at the gates of every single city. Church, that is who we're called to be. And just like a mother can hardly do her work without the Holy Spirit's help, nor can we go on without him equipping us and causing us to move boldly in an unveiled place. The last point I want to make before we end is that we need to receive the Holy Spirit. We have to receive him, acquire him as our helper. I spent some time last year, I was sort of in the midst of two different things. I was at a conference, and they were having a breakout session for missionary pastors, and I really wanted to go, but it was overlapping with something else. Um, that my kids needed, and that was this dance competition they were in. So I was running from one to another going, I'm never going to make it. And what I was really wanting was this um, deposit, this fresh anointing upon missionary pastors, missions pastors. I was desperate for it, and I knew that the Lord was appointing me and wanting me to go. But I had already made this commitment to my daughter, and I didn't want to miss it. And so as I prayed that whole day, I was feeling kind of this anxiety, like, oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to fail somebody. I'm either going to fail where I need to be over here and receive this anointing, or I'm going to fail my daughter. I just, I just felt it. So I got in the car. I ran over to where she was having her competition. I watched the whole thing, was present in the moment and everything. And then I'm running 
back to my car. And the whole time, the Lord had brought this verse to mind from Proverbs 31 that says, I just kept reciting it over and over and over. She sets her heart upon a nation and takes it as her own. She labors there to plant the living vines. I just kept repeating it. Holy Spirit, you have called me to go to this place. You have called me into this position. You have called me. So you make a way. I don't know how you're going to make the traffic go away. I don't know how you're going to do all those things. But you have appointed me. You have set the nation upon my heart. You have positioned me there to plant the living vine. So I'm asking for your help. Will you come to my rescue? And so I run into the meeting. I missed most of it. But wouldn't you know, as I walked in, they didn't turn me away, even though I was like an hour late. <laughs> they said, come on in. We're about to release an anointing. And so I literally had enough time to drop my bags there, walk up to where I was to stand, and receive a powerful anointing. In the car on my way there, I was like, Lord, you hold all the anointing, so you'll just give it to me if I miss it, and it's fine. But he pressed in. He was like, you're called to receive this anointing, a deposit from someone else who's been walking longer with me and needs to send this out to you. They hold it. They've acquired it. They've received it from the helper, and it's a deposit from them to you. Receive it. Yes, I can do it, but I've called them to partner with me, and they've obeyed. And so go and receive from the helper. And I did, and it was awesome. And I felt this fire and this power and things that I hadn't felt before. And so I want to do that for us today. I know that you can't, and you're, you won't, and you're not supposed to leave here the same way you came. You need a helper, and he's ready to help you. You need a helper, and he's ready to help you. Will you stand with me? When Jesus, God in tangible form, left the disciples, he told them to wait for the Holy Spirit to baptize them. He knew that for the work he was calling them to do, they would need his spirit. Mothers and sisters, the work the Lord calls you to do as spiritual and physical mothers seems to me impossible until we receive the power and love of the Holy Spirit. And so Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. The Lord wants to baptize you with his love today with a fresh infilling. He wants to baptize you with his spirit. And so if you've never been baptized by the Holy Spirit, you've been baptized with water, that is a glorious and beautiful display of your decision. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit releases a power that is mysterious, is all I can say. It's beautiful and it's important. And it takes you to places that you couldn't go without it. It takes you to uncommon places, unique places that were designed and established for you by the Lord that you cannot go without him. 
If you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then right now I'm simply um, going to ask you to lift your hands up, open your palms up, and receive a fresh infilling in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit. I come with only the power that you have given me to release your power to these women, to these sisters, to these mothers, to do a fresh thing in them, a new thing, but a thing that you've called and established upon them since the foundation of the earth, but to them it's new. But to you, you've been waiting for it, Holy Spirit. I ask you to fill them right now in Jesus' name with your power, with your presence, with your joy. I pray a baptism of joy upon you in Jesus' name, of love, of goodness and mercy, of grace, extravagant grace extravagant grace belongs to you pray that it would just pour out upon you bubble up inside of you that you would not be able to contain this fresh holy spirit fire in you in jesus name that it would compel you to move into places that you have not been before because you're walking alongside your good helper For those of you that have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you don't remember, you can't say, today is your day. Today is your day to receive the helper, the help of the helper. And this is not just for women, this is for men. As you walk in who the church is called to be, we need you. We need the virtue that you possess by way of the Holy Spirit. We need you. We need you. So if you've never been baptized by the Holy Spirit, we just want to receive you at the front. Our elders are going to come and be prepared to just release the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon you as elders, men and women. That is their call. That is their job. They do it so beautifully with such privilege. would like that day to be today to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just come, just come right now. Just receive. It doesn't have to be super weird, guys. The Holy Spirit is gentle. Think about how your mother comes alongside you as a comforter, as a healer, as a rescuer, as an advocate. This is the picture of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's not trying to embarrass you. Holy Spirit's wanting to love you, wanting to help you, wanting to be your helper. Just receive his help, acquire the blessing of his help. <laughs> 